one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to what? That old queen. A candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, the views here are purely those of the content providers and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, please let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> old queen. Hello, Tommy. Hello, Bernie. Are you in? <laughs> I'm Bernie in and out. <laughs> I have actually, I've changed my profile, uh, my grinder profile name to that. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens if I get any more response than I usually do. <laughs> How's your week been? Uh, yeah, busy, um, doing lots of different things. Um, moved myself now from not just being at home, but working in the office, which is good. I'm the only person in the office because um, where I work, it's mostly either people that don't live in Bristol or have childcare issues. So right. I'm the only one free of that. But yeah, I've got a very noisy fridge tonight. And I was just thinking, sure, and it just started kicking in when you said, shall we do the record? And I thought, shall I go over to that fridge and kick it? Because that's usually what happens to stop it. Well, I can't hear the fridge, but if you want li- to release some frustration and kick it, you can. <laughs> I won't because I've taken my shoes off. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit chilly today, isn't it? After last week, when I was just literally melting when we were sitting here recording with Edson. I know. I want it to heat up so that we can have a have a night out in the pubs but outdoors rather than tomorrow yeah i'm still a little bit unsure about it do you know Mm. what i mean i i I really want to go out to the pub but i'm a little bit unsure about tomorrow night because i feel like everyone's gonna go to the pub Mm. Uh, and actually it might be worth waiting a little bit to see what happens yeah Um, but yeah and if the weather's crap i'm not sure i want to be socially distanced inside i'd rather be in a pub garden i mean i want to be looking at what's going on so i might just even walk out of the street and see what people are up to yeah have a little wonder 
Mm. <laughs> maybe maybe I could meet you and we could have a socially distanced wander mm. see if it's worth going in anywhere. Um, but it's quite exciting from where we started. So we're, in a, we're on our penultimate episode. I might do a little extra episode for people who are our Patreons so they have a little bit of uh, something exclusive. They already have a couple of exclusive episodes on there. But yeah, it, from where we've come from at the beginning of the series to where we are now, it's been quite a journey, hasn't it? It tells an, an interesting story. And I feel these podcasts have documented that in quite a good way. <laughs> yeah, a lot of me moaning, I think. You keep saying that. I, you don't moan about anything. I don't, well, I don't consider you moaning anyway. So I come from a long line of miserable old gits, so you'd need a lot <laughs> to... Uh, to make me think that you're a moaner. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've got quite a packed program tonight. Yeah. Uh, we've got the return of What That Old Kink, because I went into a little mm. bum hole or rabbit hole um, after the mu- museum bums uh, came on. Well, they inspired you, didn't they? They did inspire me, yeah. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, have we got a What That Really Old Queen? Yeah, so it's sort of related to our um, special guest today, who is Pam Tate. Um, And years ago, so I've known Pam for years, um, and she'll be on later. Um, And years ago, she lent me a book about um, a drag queen or a drag lady called Mrs. Shufflewick. Who um, whose dates are 1924 to 1983. So Mrs. Shufflewick was born a child abandoned at birth called Rex Costa, um, was named by a couple who adopted him and then raised him in Southend-on-Sea in until 1938. And then they moved to Holloway in London, an area that was heavily bombed by the Blitz. Rex was called up to the RAF in 1942 and was able to join Rolf Reeder RAF gang show. Um, And he toured North Africa, Italy and Cyprus, um, putting on shows um, for the forces. Um, And his flight sergeant was Tony Hancock. Oh, wow. Uh, Love Tony Yeah. Um, and he would usually play like comic vicars or other kind of leading ladies. And I always think like if I was called up, maybe that's the sort of role that I would take, like performing in a gang show or something. Yeah, I would love that. I think that would be amazing. Um, after the war, as there was already a popular uh, broadcaster called Sam Costa, um, Rex took the name Jameson after the whiskey to avoid confusion does that make sense uh yeah i think so well it's a bit like harry h corbett he changed he put an h in so he wasn't confused with harry corbett who did sooty and sweep anyway they developed a character that was called gladys shufflewick who appeared on the bbc radio um in the 1950s um Rex was the first Dane comedian to perform in female clothing when on the wireless. Wow. He'd arrive usually in a taxi, already dressed and stayed in character. Um, There were very few other comedians that did anything similar. And he was usually billed simply as Mrs. Shufflewick. And many in the audience were unaware of Rex Jameson um, taking the... To, uh, taking Mrs. Shufflewick to be a woman. 
Right. Okay. Amazing. He did eight seasons at the Windmill Theatre um, as Mrs. Shufflewick and would drink at the Bear and Staff in Charing Cross, where he developed a nice friendship with one of our previous really old queens, Danny LaRue. Oh, great. Mrs. Shufflewick played in many variety theatres across Britain, sharing the bill um, with lots of other stars. However, Rex's drinking was more and more a problem and betting on horses. And by 1960, they'd become bankrupt. Um. In 1964, um, Mrs. Shufflewick appeared on an LP, Look Look at the Local, recorded at Waterman's Arms in the Isle of Dogs. He also appeared in West End shows and um, pantomime in Butlin's holiday camp, where he had to constrain his act for a family audience. However, then he started working in northern working men's clubs and the bawdiness was encouraged. (laughs) Which is quite strange, isn't it? Because you think that northern working men's clubs were probably quite a difficult audience, especially if you're a female impersonator. But they they really embraced the queerness, you know. That, Did they? That, that's so interesting. Cases, yeah, I mean, we've had Larry Grayson, and that's that's where Larry was a female impersonator in those clubs, really. So yeah, they were very, you know, in certain respects, they were very open minded. Um, he lived. In, this is the bits I like. He lived in a rundown flat in Kentish Town, where he kept scrap metal in the bath and was very proud of the fact that he had not had a bath for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> what What was he hoping to do with the scrap metal? <laughs> well, he probably just sold it onto the rag and bone man. Yeah, probably. I mean, I feel like I'm a bit of a hoarder, but I don't have scrap metal in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in 1968, he's mentioned in the first edition of Roger Baker's History of Drag. In 1969, Mrs. Shufflewick was the star of an adult pantomime in Brighton called Cinderella with an S. But the police closed it down after two nights because of complaints about the material. Wow. Also in 1969, Rex met David, a labourer in his 30s who would stay until with him until his death. And they shared a fondness for drink and gambling. By the early 1970s, Mrs. Shufflewick was mainly performing in gay clubs, particularly the Black Cap in Camden um, and the Vauxhall Tavern in Vauxhall in Lambeth. And she recorded a live at the Black Cap, which sold well. But within a few months, there were performers who were doing her full act under their own names. Um, And Mrs. Shufflewick has come up time and time again for me when I've been sort of doing my oral histories project when I sort of travel around and interview interview older people about their memories of sort of places and connections that have a sort of LGBTQ plus resonance and so a lot of people remember Mrs Shufflewick doing a turn um, in the pubs and clubs. But did you say that somebody else was doing her act? Yeah, so they just completely ripped off. I mean, that's what drag queens do, really, don't they? They just steal material. Um, In his 50s, Rex uh, looked over 70. He continued heavily drinking and smoking until the end. 
1983, just before his 59th birthday, he popped out to buy some cigarettes and a Guinness and dropped dead on the pavement. Over 500 people turned up to his funeral. Oh, wow. Well, if you're going to go, you, that's not a bad way to go, is it? Dropping dead yes. on the way to the shops. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going out with someone once and I said, I'm just going to the shops to buy some cigarettes. And then I never can't bother to go back. <laughs> I know. I've been scarred to this day about that episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. What a life. Um, it's yeah. amazing when you delve into these kind of histories of people uh, – you know, that have been kind of on the scene in the UK, isn't it? Well, and all around the world, I guess. Uh, but I've never I've never heard. I mean, on the scene, but also like living on the internet. If you saw some pictures, you might, it might strike your memory because I think they did, they were occasionally on television. Right, okay. Um, yeah, I, put, I will look at the pictures because obviously I'll have to put them up on Instagram and stuff. So yeah, probably I might recognise them. But yeah, so interesting. And yeah, I mean, so many people in the gay world, uh, well, LGBTQ plus world, uh, live on the edge, uh, even to this day, don't they? Because of, well, because of life, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> there's, some re- there's some really good recordings of uh, of uh, Mrs. Shufflewick's act um, that you can listen to. And doesn't actually, you know, some material that's comic feels really dated because it's sort of it's very offensive and it doesn't it stands the test of time in that way because they just they make jokes about themselves and their character rather than about people like poking fun at the audience or other people right so there's a sort of gen there's a gentleness about them i think and you feel a bit of an affinity with this character because it's a bit like a net curtain is that right it is. yeah it's i mean it's a sort of tea lady character really which um my character and air curtains i mean she's not a tea lady but i could imagine her being a tea lady yeah well they i think they're always the best characters i mean that's that's the thing about drag everybody thinks and goes for the glamorous kind of pretty character but actually the more interesting ones are the funny ones and the ones which are slightly quirky and and not the most polished i think well talk about striking a chord or a rump when we had museum bums on which was still last week for us but is two weeks for the listeners they said something about uh people falling in love with statues Mm. and it led me down a bit of a rabbit hole or a bum hole because i thought oh i wonder if that is whether it has a name or whether there's you know there's a kink for that and it led me to a greek or actually a cypriot myth and then the history of uh sex dolls and then up to date with sex bots or man bots in particular so if you something to do with pygmalion yes so that's that's the greek or cypriot myth so if you fall in love with a statue or a doll it's called agalmaltophilia which is a paraphilia involving sexual attraction to a statue or a doll or a mannequin or another figurative object or object of sexuality so pygmalion was a mythical 
sculpture uh, in ancient Greece or Cypriot times who fell in love with one of his own creations. He wanted to create the most beautiful woman. And he created this statue called Galatea or Galatea. And he prayed to the goddess of love, Aphrodite, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) who upon inspecting the statue thought it mirrored her beauty. She thought it looked like her. And so she granted his wish and brought the statue to life. And in the in the myth, he married her, which is quite interesting. But then from that, the practice of having sex with statues was common among worshippers of Priapus, who we mentioned when uh, Sasha Coward was on, when, when we're doing Greco-Roman times, because he had a big penis. So virgins would be penetrated by his statue. In fact, some... I <laughs> Well, a lot of statues are missing their penis. But in fact, a lot of uh, ancient statues had removable penises to facilitate their use as dildos. And lots of statues of saints had very big phalluses, like in the Catholic churches and stuff. Yeah, I I mean, uh, they gave me a list of saints, which I haven't put down here because there's so much to get through with this. But um, but it's quite interesting because a lot of a lot of statues had erect phalluses on them, but they uh, they were taken off by the church. But it was actually the church who kind of instigated some of this. Mm. So there's another case uh, coming slightly more up to date, where a window dresser. I wondered if you knew this person or not, Tommy, who was compelled to masturbate whenever he saw a nude mannequin. Apparently, one of his first sexual acts was performing fellatio to a supervisor while sat on a mannequin. He then developed a desire to rub up against them, like in a frottage kind of way, uh, and have men watch him whilst he was doing it. So, When was the last time you watched Mannequin with um, <laughs> Kim Cattrall? I d- d- I, do you know what? I think I want to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, me too. I should have watched it as some research for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch it tonight. I love Kim Cattrall. I love Kim Cattrall. And I actually do love Mannequin. I don't love a Mannequin. I just love the film Mannequin, just to get that straight. Anyway, there's a long history of sex dolls. So it's not just statues. There's sex dolls as well. Um, they mainly female, I have to say. But I think there were probably male ones as well. But because homosexuality has been frowned upon it's less recorded so um french spanish german navies had sex dolls they were quite basic to satisfy the lonely sailors the dutch used to make them for the japanese navy and uh, that's where the term dutch wives came in uh, which is still used today for some sex dolls in japan so and it's also reported that hitler or Himmler, developed sex dolls for the Aryan soldiers in World War II so they wouldn't have to be made impure by having sex with non-Aryans and they wouldn't get STDs. I mean, I guess it depends who's been there before. <laughs> well, yeah, well, with the doll. I mean, unless yeah. you're having your own doll. <laughs> um, so there's lots of stories of automatons through history. And they're made of, uh, originally were made of straw, leather, rubber materials. 
But with the advent of modern materials like uh, latex, silicone and vinyl, they kind of became more sophisticated and more more lifelike in a way. Now sex dolls are very lifelike and there are definitely male and female forms. Male and female forms are made differently because obviously m- men are slightly firmer, less softer than the female form. And the male, male sex dolls seem to be more versatile because they have to do more things because they need to be able to be penetrated, perform fellatio and also penetrate others. I mean, some women do that as well. Yeah, totally. Well, yes, I guess maybe you, maybe like the statues, you could get a strap on for the sex doll so they could do a bit of pegging if it was a female sex doll for you. And there's also a fetish where one partner is statue-like, so they do not respond to what the other partner is doing to them. I was actually just about to say that, like sleeping, like that, I've come across that before, like people saying to someone else you know can you just pretend that you're asleep for the whole time it's a bit you know it's a bit rapey really it's a bit rapey but also uh, if they're being statuesque as well that's another form of this kind of fetish i've Uh, seen a porn film like this have you on Pornhub? is it porn community hub is it is it a mannequin it's a woman pretending to be a mannequin okay well that's interesting isn't it well they're actually using some of these sex dolls and robots now um so androids are the next evolution which they reckon they will be using in porn within the next few years if they're not already using them now hello pam pamela is in the house (laughs) we're just talking about sex dolls oh lovely (laughs) so just i'll just finish this off and then we'll come and talk to you (laughs) so androids are the next evolution and some of the, I mean, some dolls even now have pneumatics and where MP3 sounds are triggered during the sexual mm-hmm. act. So it mimics reality. And that reminds me of the Tiny Tears doll. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go there with Tiny Tears if I'm talking about sex dolls. No, sorry. <laughs> but they reckon in 2050, these sex dolls or androids will be so human-like. And that brings us into the kink of androidism, which is falling in love with an android or being android-like. And lots of people... So over the years, lots of psychologists have been kind of studying this. Uh, what was it called again? A gal matophilia. And they reckon that lots of people do it because they have difficulty forming relationships or or they're anxious or ashamed of the sexual acts that they want to perform. So they think it's less harmful if they do it on an inanimate object like a statue or a sex doll. But there's been stories of, of people that have like little like statues and they fall in love with them and they watch television with them and they read books with them. Have you noticed that Pam's not making eye contact? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, she's doing. She's sitting there doing a knitting. Very so. <laughs> hard to sit still. Sorry, I'm fascinated. Do continue. Well, I mean, I've come to the end. Really, I mean, we've we've been talking about it for the last fifteen minutes. So, uh, yeah. So it it, remi- it also reminds me of the, the the kind of porn category. I don't know what you call it, but is it a anime anime or something? Anime. Well, yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, it's that sort of thing of like, really blurring the edges of what what real life is and what fantasy is. Yeah, totally. But uh, but I can can kind of completely 
get that people might find it easier to fall in love with something that looks human but isn't human because they're not going to hurt you in any way in terms of emotions. Can you, can you get them on Amazon? You can buy lifelike sex dolls now on Amazon. They're really expensive. But there's, the, I mean, I literally, I found like 10 different websites all from the history of statues and falling in love with statues, like the Pygmalion myth, right the way up to the modern day where there are like sex dolls and and sex androids in the future. So, Well, that explains why you're reticent about coming out on Saturday night. Because <laughs> I've ordered my sex doll and uh, I've got my first date with it. <laughs> but I wish you all the happiness in the world. <laughs> but in this COVID world, is having a sex doll a way out of loneliness and having sex if this continues for any length of time? What do you think? Yeah, and also, like, is it avoiding any form of um, cross contamination? I mean, it goes back to Hitler. And each each one having their own Aryan like doll that they could have a bit of fun with. They could have sex with, yeah. Uh, anyway, Pam, we're going to have a little break. So continue yeah. to do your knitting, and we'll be, we'll come back and talk okay. to you after the break. Okay. I don't think she's knitting. I think that she's doing something more. Is she rolling a spliff? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's all finished. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing so. Okay, right. We'll have a little break and we will be back after this. If you're enjoying What That Old Queen, please share our episodes on social media and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on. If you can write a review, that would also help expand our audience too. We don't have any advertising or sponsorship. So if you can contribute to our Patreon account or help us by buying some merch, the links are in the episode description below or on our website, thatoldqueen.com. Thank you for your continued support. So we're back and we have a special guest. So Tom, would you like to introduce our special guest? I'd love to. So I've known our guest, um, Pam Tate, I don't know for how many years. So many, um, at least 20, I would say. Yeah. And um, Pam is a um, costumer, wardrobe mistress. I don't know what you'd call yourself. Designer. And sometimes, you know, I've worked with her and she said, well, you know, sneak that in your bag and no one would notice. <laughs> so, you know, I've got a... a, a I've got a, yeah stealing, um, yeah I've got a, I've got I've got some lovely pajamas which I still wear um, from a, a film that we did together, a nice shirt from Queer as Folk which Pam worked on, um, which I'm not wearing tonight because it's a bit it chaffs a bit, but um, <laughs> please welcome to the to the throne Pamela Tate. Do you like me? Do you like being called Pamela? It, my parents used to call me that when um, they were disciplining, so not greatly. No, I'm not keen on being called Pam. I always want to be called Narissa, but I don't think it suits me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like calling Pam. It's all right, yeah. I don't like that, but I don't like Pat. <laughs> Very bad. Um, but yeah, I don't mind. Pam, so Pammy's okay. Yeah, fine. Or, or Pam. I've always yeah, known Pam. you as Pam. I mean, yeah. Pam, we've spent, people... we've had so many drunken nights out where I've 
dance the night away on the dance floor with you. It's been amazing. Yeah. No, it's been really nice. Yeah. Some people call me Pammy, uh, affectionately, but not very many. Yeah. I like yeah, I Pammy. Like it. It, might, uh, it might stick with me, I think. Okay. <laughs> Next time we dance drunkenly together. <laughs> so Queer as Folk was quite a seminal thing because obviously we're this is a queer podcast it's quite a seminal tv series at the time wasn't it um what was it like working on that did you have a a feeling that it was kind of groundbreaking yes Uh, as soon as i got the scripts i realized groundbreaking because well for a start if you look at the scripts um nothing happens to nathan and i said at the interview what's going to happen next i was only given the the first episode i think and i said he's not going to you know, get the clap or die in episode three. And they went, no. I said, well, that's good. It's like a candide, isn't it? Um, but it was, Channel 4 was very worried about it. They didn't really want to call it Queer as Folk. It was going to be called The Other End of the Ballroom for quite some time. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was, um, yeah, it was approached with some caution. And I think people knew, yeah, Channel 4 were worried about it. And the people that wrote it knew that it would be groundbreaking. And it, indeed it was. I mean, I had people saying to me i didn't realize they were like the rest of us you know i think it's hard to well, everyone's rimming each other no no <laughs> gay people were <laughs> yeah gay people were um were the same as everybody else you know which is gobsmacking um but i think uh it was the first time there was just lots of gay people that were just you know gay they didn't it didn't necessarily have you know the heartbreaking aid story or they didn't they were conflicted they were just out clubbing like everybody else you know so i think it was yeah we were we were fully aware of the booze and the people the extras in canal street were just so fantastic because they felt it was really groundbreaking and so but there was something about that that i have heard retrospectively and i feel like it's slightly unfair hmm. is that the sort of absolute you know hugeness success of of queer as folk was the sort of demise of the... I mean, we've just been talking about Mrs. Shufflewick, which oh, yeah, you, yeah. you got me into. But that, that sort of edgy queerness that became that became very sort of shiny, sort of, you know, with pecs and nice shirts and good teeth and yeah. all of that stuff. And, and I feel like Canal Street is symptomatic of that kind of lifestyle. And that was the kind of queerest folk marked that difference really because because it became a kind of tourist attraction in that sense I th- yes i think for a short time it did but i think that's true if you if you um think about the trans community and the the position that things like pose and um you know mainstream drama does take over and i think it yeah they were rock stars for a while i have to say on canal street the teeth were not good by and large, <laughs> they were pretty grim, <laughs> and they, they they went buff. A lot of these people were rough as badgers' asses, you know. Um, but yes, I, I think you can say that. But then it's it's that's going to be the case with anything that becomes popular, doesn't it? And therefore accepted. I think it did let loose a whole load of drama that could be based around people's sexuality just as as a, as a given you know that it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a kind of driving force which you can see as a weakness as well i think yeah i think that's that, that's maybe true but at the time it was just incredibly exciting it's just great so and I, I think that also that that wasn't specific to manchester i think it, it i think things like that happened all over really and the and the and the acceptance of of gay people brought on this kind of idea of like I don't really want to say it but like a gay Tory or something like that. Mm. Yes, you know what I mean. 
Yeah, 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 I do, I do, because it, it meant that, yeah, they weren't special, they weren't all left-wing, they didn't all take drugs. You know, Vince works in a supermarket in Queer's Folk, and um, uh, Nathan's still at school, you know, that, so it, it kind of normalised it in a way, and that has really good effects, but also not so really, you know, you have to move on to the next thing, I think, yeah. And so what other stuff have you worked on? Because you worked in theatre, TV, film. So, yeah, um, I... Well, I did Beautiful Thing, which is another um, quite groundbreaking. Yeah, seminal um, yeah. gay film. Which we made in Thames. With a fantastic soundtrack. Amazing. Yes, amazing. Which the BBC wanted to cut because it was too expensive. Um, what have I done? I did some feature films. I did some big tellies. But uh, lately I worked, I've done a lot of dance with Impermanence based in Bristol. And I taught at Bristol University. So I've done a lot, I guess. And for years, like, that's how I really knew Pam was that, you know, Pam was in charge of the costume and a lecturer at at Bristol University. And Pam would always, I'm going to say this, a gaggle of, like, young, beautiful gay things surrounding her. And they would, you know, look up to her. Pam would, would mentor them, you know, be the shoulder to cry on, offer words of wisdom, and and then and then she left, and so I had to step on board. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a marvelous job, so marvelous. It's been marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> the years at the university were it were great, very bright kids who were you know really willing to learn, very funny. And at its best, it really the studio just resembles breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, the cocktail scene where it's milling around with people, you know, waving bits of elastic and uh, saying, where's this? Or, you know, these don't fit. So that, yeah, it was great fun. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that ran a lot of designing as well, which was good. So I've had a good time. Yeah, good run. And I was sorry to leave, but, you know, there you go. Well, life changes. Um, and Pam's always great at sort of, well, always great at finding bargains and not sort of, um, I don't know how to say it, but like you don't really care where you get it from, do you? No, I think, I mean, I started out doing pop videos. Yeah, so I should, I should have listed all of the acts I work with, like um, girls' school always interesting. And I did a, a, a promo with Justin Hayward and a, a polystyrene wall down in Cornwall. And um, I did Simply Red's first promo. So you just got people saying, phone up and saying, it's all based on Poussin. Do you know Poussin? Um, and you have to go and go out, buy an art book, you know, that you do it <laughs> three days. So you're in and out and it didn't really matter and you had no money at all. So I guess from that, and then with the university, the longer period of having very little and having to make the most of what there was a lot of, which, you know, you might have found in the road or, you know, whatever. So no, I don't mind where it comes from. I, th- I think it's really important to keep that open, you know, and certainly with Queer as Folk, there were so many people in it. You know, we were just at TK Maxx the whole time, like, wheeling shirts around. And I went on to do a film in Belfast. And again, finding myself in TK Maxx, there was, there was a scene set in a club in 10 years' time. And I just I just had run out of ideas. So I started to pick the stuff up off the floor because I reckon it would be, A, possibly asymmetrical and B, slippery. You know, so it doesn't really matter where you where it comes from. It's how you, you attach it to the person, you know, or the, the ambience. So no, I'm not bothered. As long as it does not the crawling. Well, I did give a student a bit of fur that had maggots in it, which was, oh wow! My dad, my dad <laughs> found maggots in this 
Oh, that's um, to you. Uh, no, I think we, I think we, don't, we managed to square that circle. It was fine, but um, it was a bit dodgy that she went over this maggoty fur. <laughs> well, at least it's organic. I mean, kid, <laughs> I, I boiled loads of fish heads for her. You know, so I felt that you know, fish heads and maggots. It's like really, you know, you can't blame me. They go hand in <laughs> hand. <laughs> fin and fin. Yeah. <laughs> With your own personal collection of um, outfits, mm. you know you you mix it up quite a lot, um, and you're always in something different. But is there something that you wear that you think you know that has a huge sentimental attachment, or that you just you you, you don't have that thing where you throw it on the floor? You kind of you know you you have a, a memories attached to it and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Um, in fact, the, the thing I was going to wear, but I was a bit hot in it. It isn't this, but this is. Um, it's a Japanese thing, and it's called Kazurai. And when I did Top Girls, well, I worked at the Royal Court for three years and did some amazing shows, including performance of Top Girls. And one of the characters in it is called Lady Nijo. She's from Japan in the 13th century. So uh, you know, usually buttons to spend. So where the hell were you going to get everybody? I think they wore 12 layered gowns at the time, and you know, masses of silk. So I found this guy who sold um, kimonos and I went to see him in Notting Hill and we couldn't afford any of them. I think I bought an Obi, you know, a belt. <laughs> that's all we could afford. And then he said, um, I said, well, that's probably it. You know, thanks. That's brilliant thinking, <laughs> no money. What am I going to do? We're going to make it out of lining fabric. Um, and he said, oh, but I think this is really what you're going to like. And he opened his box up and it was just so beautiful because these pieces were made in Japan and they weren't um they weren't for the aristocracy they were they were for they were working clothes because I think means raggy sort of you know working clothes so I think that I think they're the most sentimental not because of any um attachments personally to them just what they mean um and the history in each of them so I still got this original bits mm. and they've been patched and patched and patched by me as well as the, the people that had them so I guess that, um, but there's always the next thing is great. You know, I just love, it's been absolutely tortured to have no charity shops. There's loads where I live at the moment um, and they're shut and, you know, just to go. I think that because, that's because I, when I did movies, we would come back from a movie and you would kind of, you know, you'd live together very closely and then you'd go away and the film would be edited and then you'd all come back together for the screening. Everybody would have a new haircut and a new pair of specs and new shoes. You know, it was very exciting. So I, I got used to sort of chopping and changing. So there's not much that is um, – that's it. this necklace is one of the things I like. But then I like lots of things, you know. Uh, so, Pam, what would you – how would you describe what you do? Strictly speaking, I'm a costume designer. I do that as well. Um but I think it goes beyond, you know, people have an idea. Like, I was also watching Ocean's 8, very bored, you know, just a naff film. And Helena Bonham Carter plays a, 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 a dressmaker. No, she makes a she, – she's a really high-fashion designer. And they've got her with pins and stuff and a tape measure. It's ridiculous, you know. I think what I do – when there's a text – um, you have to know the text really well. I got I got the job as queer as folk because I understood what what Russell was after and how amazing the script was. Um, so you look at the script, talk to the director, and then talk to the actors, and you know you formulate a character that's that's really hasn't existed before, which the work at the Royal Court was useful for because there's no we all had always played new plays. You know there was no you couldn't reference anything. It, it was the first time. So I think what I do is put together that, a kind of whole world. Um, 
and then persuade the actors to wear it and then find it for forms, you know. So it's a lot of different skills, um, which are all, it's, it's nice at the interlock. Um, some, some designers don't like text. I did, I did because that's the, my background, but you know, I also like color and yeah, you can, you can create a person and, and help the actor really play scenes that are quite difficult mm. or complicated and really push the action along. So I think, I don't know, designer, maker, I still, I make, which is unusual. Most designers don't make anything. Um, you know, they just point. Um, but I like making as well. So. But I guess you just put it down as costume designer or costume lady. Uh, somebody hailed me in the street as, oh, look, there's that craft lady. <laughs> 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 because we're doing stuff in a local window. They'd seen us kind of facilitate and hanging butterflies in this garden. And, you know, we were all craft ladies. So, you know. It's, I, don't, I guess designer is it, but there's a lot that is, you know, it's complicated in what you do. It's, it's a lot of different skills. Um, you, you talked about your background there. So what, did you set out to do this as your career or what was your background before this? I was always drawing as a child and I always drew fashion and I always drew people. I was quite a good, my, my father wanted to be, a, to be a caricaturist. I was good, you know, good at getting expressions and then it turned out um, cleverness was detected and um, I was then on a trajectory for Oxford or Cambridge and um, I got into Oxford when I was pretty young and then that was a bit of a flail. I didn't really fit in and it was, you know, nobody talked. There was only one person who talked about fashion. She ended up working for Harper's Bazaar. That was really, I mean, even at, even at my interview, I was talking about William Blake and said he painted in uh, watercolors and the, the tutor said oh no no painted in oils I said no 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 you know I was only 16 no 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 so um I really missed it at, at uni and then straight after uh I met somebody at, at uni whose um sister was a designer and we set up a theatre company together so I kind of was catapulted from not knowing anything into into theatre and I always wanted to do that you know that's it was just it was a real sense of coming home um, and do you prefer Harper's Bazaar or Vogue? Well, um, I actually have got a subscription to both, um, and I think I have at the moment because they're because they're on a reduced. Um, it's very cheap at the moment. So I have been buying Vogue since I was kind of knee high to a grasshopper, and um, I've got a friend of sixties and seventies Vogue, which are amazing. So I think I'm probably a Vogue person, but I collect. I, I do get Harper's Bazaar because they've got better colours when you do cut ups. Mm. But I'll be a Vogue girl, yeah. I'll always be Harper's. And never the twain shall meet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job that we're on Zoom. Yeah. People <laughs> struggling now to, um, you know, to, to cope with the, the fact that, you know, a very real thing has happened in the world. Um, and that's yeah. very funny. You know, then you get ridiculous. I mean, have you seen the cover? Have you seen this month's cover of Vogue? Yeah. What is that about? Well, I think they're desperate. I mean, last last month's was was pictures of nurses, you know, which is all well and good, but it kind of it's ludicrous. And now that now that lockdown's loosening up, you know, they've you know back to business as usual, and a little bit of what everybody's been doing under lockdown, which is mainly getting back to themselves, you know, um, because they're all very posh and thin, you know. So yeah, I mean, I I think um, yeah, they're it's, they're quite funny. They're you know they're really flailing those magazines. I, I, I said they sent out a, um, a survey. I don't know if you got it, Tom. That said, uh, uh, after the um, coronavirus, if there's a vaccine, will you be spending more on luxury jewellery and watches, 
or the same amount or less. <laughs> Say I mean, that, which is absolutely nothing or um are you going to go for speciality holidays will you spend more on speciality holidays or less or the same amount and on it went you know or will you buy, buy more shoes oh, for God's sake. yeah what the fuck i quite like to know what your answers were well, they're all, I mean, sadly, nuance. Like, what the fuck are you on about? You <laughs> yeah, we should have given you that. Yeah, option. it was like other. <laughs> really say, um, <laughs> because that's true. It's the same amount, which is nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Was I going to buy more makeup? Probably, you know, as I get older, it needs to be short, but I'll probably get a bit later. I Can might I buy a luxury concealer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Tusha Clay. Is that luxury or not? Yes. Probably. Yes. Okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Pam, thank you so much for giving us a little insight into your world. You're going to stay with us for Queens of Agony, right? I am. Answer, yes. answer some of our listeners' quandaries. Um, okay, well, I'm just going to do uh, a big gong. Because that's my little ritual before we do this. And uh, we'll get stuck in, shall we? Okay. So, dear old queens, can an introvert... I'm, I'm including you in the old queens pantheon, uh, Pam. <laughs> um, can an introvert date an extrovert? I'm currently talking to this guy that I'm in extremely interested in. I could see us getting seriously, getting serious relatively soon. We get along great. And the only thing I get concerned about is that I'm extremely introverted and shy and sometimes get social anxiety. And he's extremely extroverted. I love staying at home and playing a movie with just the two of us. He, on the other hand, loves going to bars with eight or ten of his friends. As an introvert, I hate going to bars and hate being surrounded by all of his friends. Not because I don't like them, just because there is so many of them. I can totally see this being an issue as my anxiety will always be on a high if I want to make him happy. Have you ever been in a similar situation? And do you have any advice for me? So introverts versus extroverts what do we reckon i I had a husband who didn't really understand how social our lives were and he was a bit introverted because he thought everybody else was so you know arty and whatever It, it is very tricky and it can easily turn nasty i would say really probably the introverted person to try and work on their social anxiety because that's not a fixed thing. And maybe talk to the partner about it and have a bit of, try to have a bit more fun, really. I think, uh, you know, otherwise you end up, one of you being like, you know, the weather people, one of you being in constantly indoors and one out, and that's not great. I don't think for a long-term relationship. Might work very nicely in the short term, but sounds like they're, they're in, you know, in for the long haul. What, what I mean, that's me. Go on. What do you think, Tommy? Oh, uh, so I've been in lots of relationships. I mean, I don't think I'm a, I am an extrovert, but I probably am perceived as one. Yeah. And I was in a relationship where someone was really, they found that whenever I would go out in public, they would say, why, are you, why do you always have to perform? Can't you just be like ain't and normal? I just didn't really know how to react to that criticism. 
And it, yeah, I, could, I get the problem. I can understand that problem. And it's probably the extrovert person shouldn't, shouldn't have to change their behavior. I think Pam is right in the sense that maybe it's the introvert that can find ways to cope with that. Like maybe they don't stay out for the whole night or they, you know, I don't know, but I, I don't think you can change someone's habitual behavior like that. No. And I, but I also, I think, I feel like opposites do attract sometimes and mm. they see qualities in the other person because not everyone is the same. And I think it would be really boring if you were dating someone who was exactly the same as you. And I think there's room for maneuver mm. there. If your friend, uh, you know, if your partner likes to go out socializing and you like to stay at home a bit more, then that's fine if you're comfortable with that. But don't expect that person to just stay at home and watch the telly with you all the time. They will mm. need to go out and socialise. And if you don't enjoy that, then you need to allow them to do that you know, yeah. on their own. And then you need to find something else to do while they're doing that. But I, I don't know. I mean, for an introvert, lockdown's probably been bliss, hasn't it? I mean, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that was circling social media saying how to deal with lockdown when you're a natural extrovert. And I think they've had the toughest time. I think I'm like you, Tommy. I think I've always been perceived as an extrovert. But actually, I've done the extrovert-introvert scale and I'm slap bang in the middle. And, yeah. and it's really interesting because I do like my alone time. I do like being at home. But I also love socialising and going out and dancing with Pam till the early hours of the morning <laughs> so i don't know it's about finding a balance with that and i think you need to find a balance in your relationship i don't think it's the death knell for your relationship but it will be if you see it as that unless if you don't make a compromise then th this is the end of your relationship but if you if you can see the other side and see that you need you to allow your partner to be who they want to be and you need to be who you want to be then i think it can work I think that's brilliant advice, Bernie. I think you struck gold. <laughs> I know. Who knew? Half a bottle of wine, and I, and I become wise <laughs> after fifty years. Okay. <laughs> Shall we move on to the next one? Okay, dear old queens, including Pam. <laughs> what are some of the differences between gay and straight mannerisms? Can a comparison between these be drawn? or not how would you differentiate a gay man's mannerisms body language as opposed to a straight man's including style of walking talking standing posture arms hanging out etc etc i'm asking as i find it increasingly difficult to tell wow well, pam i think well, i immediately was um my friend robert says gunning which is, he said, did you just do a gun? Like, which is gay running. <laughs> <laughs> well, my response to that would be, how could I not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you just like gun for a bus or like you gun across the street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I mean, what is that? I don't, I don't know. Pat, I, w I want your input on this. Okay, uh, well, back in the 70s when lesbianism was just invented, I had a lovely friend, Helen, and we were. I remember standing in the theatre looking at the foyer filling up with people and I was saying, 
do you see anybody there you fancy? You know, how do you tell if somebody's a lesbian? And she was she was a late convert to it, and she she said, um, quite often they didn't have handbags, which is a very kind of wispy way. <laughs> she was anybody without a handbag, or if you just left it on a chair, Helen would be in there. And quite um, quite often, gay men do have handbags. They do. <laughs> so they are. There's, there's a link between gays and uh, lesbians. Um, well, I think it's nonsense. I mean, a gay person. There's camp mannerism, surely. And effeminate, but there's no gay mannerisms are there. I don't know. I did. I did read a learned thing in the Guardian about um, gay habits of speech and and tone, which is quite interesting. That um, they looked at a lot of gay men and said yes, they they did talk in a certain way. And what is that certain way? A bit sibilant, a bit a bit higher, um, a bit chippy. Um, but that. But also, that's another misnomer. I am. I'm a voice artist, so and I and I yeah. voice like loads of different things, and not because I'm gay, uh, because pr- I probably get loads of voice work because I don't sound gay. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, I know, I know, I know. It's ludicrous. I mean, but then you know that's saying all Aquarians have got a wooden leg. It's not. It's demonstrably untrue. So I think it's it's a bit tricky. But you can obviously spot camp and performative um, gestures, but uh, but more then. And more, but but straight straight men can be like that. Of course, of course. You know, yeah. I've I've been confused by straight men who are married and stuff who who just seem to me to be completely gay, mm. and they're not. Okay, I think the the issue of performativity comes into it. Um, mm. Really, it's only after you've slept with them that you know exactly what you know, what you put your hands on. <laughs> Pam, how many gay men have you slept with? Not many. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's for the next time you come on the show. We will have a few of those stories, please. <laughs> it'll, need, it'll need to go back and think about it. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, Tommy, what do you think? I think that um, the question is, um, yeah, so just retracking my steps. What are the differences between gay and straight mannerisms? I don't think there are any. I think there can be. But I don't think there's a set. It's set in stone, is it? I think that. Well, for me, I think that you could, you would know from the minute you met me that I was gay. Pam's looking dis. Pam looks disagree. Well, I mean, it, it depends on if you've met a lot of gay people and known they're gay. If you if you haven't, then you wouldn't. You know, it's it's a bit more complicated. I think you know your camp, but they might not even know the word for camp. You know? mm, no, I mean, I guess it's your gay dar, isn't it? It is. Yeah. As I say. Um, yeah. but short of them telling you or you asking them, sometimes just you just don't know. Put your hand uh, on trousers and see. I mean, we had Tom <laughs> Shaw as, as a guest, and me and Tom have always been talking about a project that we'd like to do about gay voices. Yeah. yeah. Because I think there's something in that that's worth interrogating. I think so. I think, I think that might be more telling than the gestures. Yeah, you just meet people who are incredibly theatrical and then you really don't know what they're on at all. You know, what mm. kind of animal are they? And in the end, I do think it doesn't really matter. But there we are. That would be me. Well, I guess it matters to this, uh, the listener, because uh, they want to know. <laughs> I think you just you just need to ask them. I mean, I can normally, you know, after 10 minutes, I can normally get people's life story out of them because you know what questions to ask. 
and people in general want to talk about themselves don't they they're desperate to yes quite a good way to get their life story is to not ask them any questions at all i, I work on that the opposite yes and they're so willing to spill the beans then it's a, it, as soon as that little doorway opens then a little nudge and then it all comes flowing yeah, out yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay move on to the next question dear old queens i'm 24 and always horny do i have a problem i think about sex all the time and i masturbate daily this is the listener not me and <laughs> I hasten to add i love it and i'm constantly hitting on people and looking for attention now that I, now that i'm out as bi i want to explore with people i could on, honestly finish just thinking about a hot guy i want to share with others but don't want to be a whore any suggestions and there's a little ps i'd like to think i'm an attractive guy but people don't seem to be interested okay so what do you think about that there's a lot going on there i think yeah it's quite hard to unpick and it's quite short and concise but i mean he's thinking about sex all the time because he likes men and women i guess you would because <laughs> you're surrounded by everything <laughs> all the time not really. <laughs> throbbing mm. i don't think there's a problem with being constantly horny not when you're 24 well not if you're 44 well uh, well exactly yeah but... you're 44. <laughs> 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 um yeah i don't see a problem with it but i think they're obviously they've only just come out as bi so and they think they're attractive but they think that other people are attracted to them i think maybe they're hitting on the wrong people what do you think pam well i think that might be true and i think they might be coming on a bit too strong and thinking about how horny they are all the time and that's not very attractive is it that looks that looks a bit desperate and they're talking about sharing mm. um what are they sharing <laughs> too much maybe that hasn't you know they hated that so i think you know yeah you go yes and, and have, a, have a few experiences but you can't really you know you can't swoop down like a tank on people can you that doesn't really work so i think um that i think it's probably more symptomatic of somebody who's just defined themselves as bi um you know because there's there is more to life than sex you have to kind of um allow that as well i think but it can yeah it can completely obsess you can't it and that's not it's not it's not pretty side that really and i imagine right now because of lockdown and we're i mean we're only just coming out of this yeah. lockdown in our country there's been a long drought of sexual activity yeah. um so yeah being horny 24 7 is is probably uh de rigueur for a lot of people i would imagine and very problematic i would think you know the life must be heartbreaking for a lot of people um so but not for us because we've got this podcast to look forward ah. to. Patchwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No problem here. Or a sex doll. <laughs> or a sex doll. Or two. <laughs> With live noises. Oh, wait. Yeah. I'm saving up as we speak. <laughs> I mean, would would you consider a sex bot? Well, I don't know. It depends on how good they are, really. Um, I don't think I've got the space. In your house, in your life. Yeah. In my house. You could maybe rent one. 
Maybe. For an Ooh, evening. Yeah, but then you're in risk of catching. I know, as long as it's clean, that, that seems yeah. a bit... Ooh, yeah. You know. I, mean, mm. I mean, in these COVID times, it would have to be, uh, obviously... Oiled. Oiled, cleansed. Boiled <laughs> <laughs> yourself. Oh. And, and spend 48 hours outside, which <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to put my neighbours through. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Mom, you've got a sex door waiting, waiting outside your flat. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it could be no, fully no. clothed. It doesn't have to be naked. So. No, <laughs> I mean, I have got patio chairs outside my front door. Well, it could Maybe be that like you've just got a little gathering outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning of lockdown, I was, um, you know, learning my learning some lines, and I found it very difficult because I like to practice in front of people. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a little monkey. Um, it's a bit Sunset Boulevard, really. Um, and so I sat the monkey on the sofa and I just performed the lines for this monkey. <laughs> Top tip. Can we can Top we just tip. clarify that the monkey is not a live monkey, is it? Um, no. It, has, it hasn't just died. No, it's a doll. <laughs> a la Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess we don't really have an answer for the 24-7 horny pie guy. Do you know what I'm really what I'm really struggling with tonight is remembering the question. Oh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> the wine I think it is. I think it is a, a very um, complicated question. That there's a lot of, of stuff that's talking about it doesn't quite fit together, and mostly it's urge, isn't it? Yeah. So I would yeah, have a go with your urges, but be a bit kinder to yourself and to others. Don't don't you know you don't go need to go so mad. I would think. I think you you're know? right, Pam. I think there's. Desperation is always unattractive. So if you if you're going out and approaching people just for sex all the time, then it, it kind of almost sets up alarm bells, doesn't it, with people? Yeah, and it's very exhausting in the end for you because you just keep you know that's all you think about, and that you know you like looking for conquest. It seems a bit um, tiring, I think. But we wish them well. Yes, definitely, and cool. and good luck, good luck with that in lockdown or coming out of it or whatever. <laughs> okay, final question, which is kind of on a similar vein but not quite. Uh, dear old queens, is it okay to date someone if I'm friends with their ex? Around a year ago, I started to have a crush on my friend that I thought was straight, who I'll call M, and he had started to date my other friend who I'll call Jay. Around six months ago, they broke up. Because of this, I thought he was straight. But M recently told me that he was bisexual, and I believe he started to flirt with me. He and Jay broke up a few months ago. Would it be a bad idea to ask him on a date because of what happened with my friend? And there's a P.S., Jay is also dating my best friend. I don't know if that applies. <laughs> well, I I think if they're dating your best friend, all is fair in love and war, isn't it? W what do you think? I think it is all fair in love and war. Slightly irritating when that happens. Um, I've I've been in that situation before, and it's not about the fact that they're your ex. It's just that you know how irritating they are, and you don't want to put your friend through that. But then you can't you can't really say that because you come 
you come out sounding like an idiot. Yeah, I guess I, I wonder. So I'm assuming that the friend is female. Bit, yeah. And he thought that this their partner was straight, but then they turn out to be bi. So I yeah. guess it is slightly complicated, isn't it? If they don't know that he's bi, like the friend I meant. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. They haven't said whether the, the friend knows that their ex-partner yeah. was bi or not. What do, what do you think, Pam? Well, I think it, it's all, it is... I, I believe that all fair in love and war, but... That doesn't really apply when you go out, you know, and, you, and, and it, it's very important. It becomes possibly very important given your social, your, your social circle, you know, where you're going to, like I had lots of um, lesbian lodgers and they were forever falling out and, and pairing off and then being unable to go to several pubs and venues. You know, there'd be a long list of places they couldn't go. So they talked about it a lot. So maybe that was part of the attraction. I think it's all right between the sheets but when you get outside it can be tricksy um but some people seem to thrive on that i can't you know oh my god i saw so and so um made more complicated by the the bias i think i suppose you might be revealing somebody's secrets it sounds very complicated to me yeah i wonder if the if, if the if the friend is already dating his best friend then the, if they're already dating somebody else then i guess it's easier but i guess the the conflict here is loyalty to your friend, isn't it? I mean, and what kind of social code you have with that or moral yeah. code you have with that. As a general rule, I don't tend to date friends' exes because I, get, mm. I think it gets very messy with friendships. Yeah. But you can't help who you fall in love with sometimes. No. But it, it does it does potentially get very messy and gummy and then everybody ends up quite unhappy unless and I do think that's it's quite a streak in a lot of people that they completely love that, you know, and they're like, oh, we mustn't go so and so and you know, do you know what they said? And you know, that the relationship goes on for months or years. Uh, you know, it can and be yeah. quite a turn on, can't it? I think I think so for some people, yeah. I'd always find it appalling. Would I couldn't bear it. It's too much, too complicated mm. for my but uh, yeah, it is, I, I think it is tricksy once you start. It's like when you work, mix business with friends, isn't it? Sex and friends, tr- tricksy, I think. Mm. I think you need to be open about it right from the start with your friends. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe talk to them about it first before you actually pursue the relationship yeah. to see how the land lies. What's more important to you? Is it the relationship or is it the friendship? And as a general rule, friendships <laughs> tend to last longer than relationships. Indeed, yeah. So, yeah, but, I mean, it takes a certain amount of maturity and stability to have those conversations, and sometimes people are deeply in lust, aren't they? And then it all gets a bit complex that, you know, events take over, and you're talking about things in the past then rather than, you know, is it okay if this happens? Oh, this has happened, you know, which people, I think. But I agree with you, friendships last longer than relationships quite often. Yeah. What do you think, Tommy? Um, I agree with everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Now you just be lazy. (laughs) Well, because you've said that, I'm going to do one more quick question. So, uh, (laughs) which I want you to answer, Tommy. So, dear old Queens, am I right to be mad at my boyfriend who likes to walk shirtless in public slash urban areas? What do you think about shirtless men? in a public area uh i know it's summer and super hot but i don't like it that he's showing off his body honestly i have better abs 
but I don't show them unless I'm at the beach or in swimming pools. <laughs> so Tommy, I love this question. Uh, I would say, I would say, yes, um, you are right. I think it's disgusting, <laughs> but I would really appreciate seeing that. <laughs> don't stop on my account. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think pam get over yourself come on if you've got better abs take your shirt off for heaven's sake yeah i mean if you if you're if, yeah i mean if you're jealous of your boyfriend taking off their shirt and showing it in public just show yours in public why not i mean but surely there's a thing about you know if people find your boyfriend attractive then you've chosen the right person right well, they. No. I tell you what, I don't like though. I don't like it when people come. I don't know why, because I'm so you know I'm so open minded. I don't like it when someone comes into a restaurant with their shirt off. No, yeah, there are there are in, in what public spaces one asks. You know, football match or what swimming pool. Um, you know, McDonald's maybe not. You know, nail bar maybe not. You know, so it depends on the display, but. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think once you start con- trying to control somebody's affect, that's not good. You know, that's not good. You shouldn't start. It's interesting in, like, in the world of Zoom that we live in at the moment. Mm. I've done a few shows and then we've all met up on Zoom afterwards. And I always just, you know, after a show, I just want to take my clothes off. You know, because it's just confining. You've done a drag thing or something and you're just like, oh, I just need to take this off. And so I would just sit there and talk to people just in my pants, you know, like in the dressing room. And I think that there's people that have gone, oh, I don't know how to respond to you. But I think that's maybe to do with the fact there's a relationship between, you know, nudity and the gaze that you have with a computer screen. Yeah, Yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, it is uncomfortable. And you've got that lovely ship, you're hardly nude at all. It's true. I'm always dressed even when I'm nude. (laughs) (laughs) I think this just shows insecurity with with your boyfriend. And I think you need to get you need to have a discussion with him about your insecurities, I think, and get over that. (laughs) Very um, likely an insecure person would discuss their insecurities. Of <laughs> <laughs> You're expecting too much of the public. <laughs> Just get over yourself. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, Pam, you're right. Get over yourself. Take your shirt off as well. Uh, and just enjoy it. <laughs> Pam, you've been fabulous. I cannot Thank wait you. for a time when we can dance drunkenly on the dance floor again together it will happen it will happen i hope so thank you so much for being on the show uh please say goodbye to our lovely listeners goodbye everybody it's been such fun it's fantastic it's really cheered my night up <laughs> <laughs> Great. tommy say goodbye goodbye pammy goodbye bernie goodbye <laughs> Um, people that listen that can be bothered to listen <laughs> well we're, we're on over three thousand listeners now so uh, worldwide all over the world mainly in the uk but all over the world as well so um so yeah thank you for listening and uh please uh listen to our final show of the season next week we will see you next time on what that old
been listening to What? That Old Queen? Written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges in lockdown 2020 for Hodge Podcasting. If you'd like to sponsor a show or you'd just like to be a guest or you have a question for the Old Queens, you can email on hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.